this is a KTF Press podcast. We're talking about God meeting us in the deepest places of our humanity and in the particularities of where where we need to be loved, I think, which makes so much sense because the Bible says that God is love. That is how we experience the manifestation of the transcendence of of who and what God is. Mm-hmm. And and so I just love how deeply personal it is, even just beyond our own stories. It's it's getting at the root of, of where we hurt and why we hurt and God being present there with us. I need to know. Welcome to Shake the Dust, Leaving Colonized Faith for the Kingdom of God. I'm Jonathan Walton here with Susie Lahoud and Cy Hoekstra. So tonight is uh, testimony night at the at the Church of Shake the Dust. Uh, Susie's going to tell you. <laughs> Susie's going to tell you. Whoa, a little we're more in about, church now. <laughs> I mean, if we're Bless having a te- if we're having a testimony night, who's yeah, leading exactly. worship? Who's leading worship? <laughs> Jonathan's on the organ. Um, <laughs> We we're we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, kind of some of our own current more current faith journeys, not previous testimonies. Susie's gonna explain more of what we're doing later. Um, I promise it'll be great. Uh, I'm just here to remind you really quickly. If you have never checked it out, please do go to ktfpress.com and look into uh, subscribing to the show. If you appreciate what we do, that is the best way to uh, support our work. That gets you the bonus episodes of this show, of which there are several. And uh, it also gets you our weekly newsletter from the three of us where we give you each of us give you a couple recommendations on things that have helped us in uh, political education and discipleship as we try and grow and, uh, and leave colonized faith. And um, it, it also supports everything we do, the other book projects that we have going on and, uh, the, you know, the transcribing of the show to keep everything accessible, all, all the everything that we do at KTF Press. It supports all of it. We really appreciate uh, if you would go take a look at that. Okay, Susie, give them the the not jokey, goofy little description of what we're doing that I just did. Tell them what we're actually doing today. <laughs> okay, well, as Sai shared, this episode we're going to be talking about our faith in a more personal way. When I was in college, a divinity school professor was invited to our Christian Fellowship's weekly meeting to share her testimony. And she opened by saying that she feels like your testimony shouldn't really be about that moment when you decided to follow Christ however many weeks, months, or even years ago. It should be about why you still choose to follow Christ today. Those are the testimonies the three of us want to share with you all now. But we want to take it a step further. We also want to share about the moments when we've been tempted to walk away. We hope that this is a conversation that encourages you, challenges you, and stirs your soul. So, Sai, you want to open us up? Uh, yeah, I am going to get us started. Um, I think I'm going to start with this, the second part of the question, which is the why you almost walked away. Because, it, well, it's just a little bit. It's believe it or not, that is actually a little bit of a lighter topic in my story. So, the thing the thing that I actually wanted to start out with was I I have not had a lot of really significant moments where I thought I, I wanted to leave. And the reason is, is uh, not because of the immense and abiding power of my gigantic faith. The reason is uh, actually a lot to do with my parents and, and their, the, the million different little ways that they taught me. And I think my siblings too, to um, the, the incredible power of the ability to roll your eyes at church is how I think of it in my head. <laughs> 
Like, I actually meaning, really love hmm. that. <laughs> yeah, like like the ability to they they did not um, hold sacred anything that wasn't sacred, right? It, it, they were fine mm-hmm. with laughing at church when it got ridiculous. They were fine with criticizing things that were wrong, even if like both my and their ideas of what is wrong and needs criticizing have changed over the years. Like that idea was always mm-hmm. there. So I didn't. I just don't have a lot of those. I hear so many stories of people who are like, you know, um, I saw all these pastors that I really loved supporting Trump and, uh, and that like really hurt my faith in Jesus, not my faith. You know what I mean? Like that their, mm. their faith was so tied up in whether or not those pastors were good people doing good things Yeah, that it, that it becomes, um, uh, a part of like your, your faith altogether. And I, I don't, that's not to, like people were taught that, right? Like people are taught to be a part of a um, effectively cults of personality or they're taught to be part of like an, an entertainment industry that you bring people into that like is wholly, you know, focused on propping up the goodness of the church and the people in it, which is nothing to do with what Jesus says, right? So yeah. I, I didn't have a lot of those moments. So here's, here's the, the, the moment that I have where I almost did like that really shook my faith and it's extremely trivial at first. This story will be silly and you will wonder why I'm talking like roll your eyes. The fact that I'm talking about this, however, it will, it will lead to a bigger point, which is this. Um, when I was a little teenage, brand new baby Christian, I was in the world that is very, that was very focused on uh, apologetics, like that quarter of the church. <laughs> Um, which Jonathan knows because that's how I was when I got to Columbia and that's not how he was. And we had a lot of funny conversations about that. But (laughs) so I, I get to college as a relatively new Christian and I had just been trained to be very focused on like college is like the lion's den, you know, (laughs) it's like you're coming in and there's all these ideas that are going to come at you. They're going to try and take you away from God and you have to defeat them with your apologetic prowess. And I was like always a little bit into that, not like fully bought in, but always kind of there because um, I really cared about what white people thought. (laughs) Like that's the Mm. point that I eventually got to. Right. So when I, when I Mm. came to college, my freshman year was when uh, Richard Dawkins, God delusion and Christopher Hitchens, God is not great came out. The four horsemen. Yes. Right. Yeah. And Sam Harris (laughs) had a book come out that year too. It was like, it was all about those. The second death of God. Yeah. Right. It was all (laughs) about Mm. those guys. And, and like, uh, I can't remember which one it was that I read. I think I read Sam Harris's book first. And because I didn't, like, I was kind of into apologetics, but didn't actually know that much. <laughs> Having, like, mm-hmm. a concentrated sit down and just read a bunch of his stuff, I was like, oh, no, am I completely wrong about everything? <laughs> and it, like, mm-hmm. it didn't take me very long to, like, literally, Then I had, like, one night where I was, like, very shaken. And then literally the next day, I just, like, read some responses to him. And I was like, oh, this is actually, there's a lot of holes in what he was saying. But... The, the like point that I had to get to more broadly from being in community with people like you, Jonathan or Gabrielle or lots of other people, lots of other people who I had the good fortune to be like in, in community with at the time was there were so many of you who did not know who any of these people were and did not care about what they thought in any way. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's true. And because it really was, it was like, it did, and I'm not saying like, if you have, you know, if you're bothered by some argument that someone made against Christianity, you shouldn't go look into it or you shouldn't go like follow that rabbit hole of doubt and figure out, you know, figure things out for yourself. But what I am saying is I cared way too much about what those people thought uh, mm-hmm. because they were 
educated, privileged white men. Like that's what it came down to, right? Like, why do I care so much about what Richard Dawkins thinks? And I couldn't care less about like what some Muslim student on campus with me thinks, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or I couldn't, I couldn't, the idea that like Christianity is running around oppressing all kinds of marginalized groups, like those people's calls for reform or, or even anger with Christianity, like that, none of that bothered me. What bothered me was the people who had the status telling me that I was foolish and wrong. And I wanted to prove that they were foolish and wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. so that, that was, that's kind of a place where I was actually legitimately shaken for a bit. And the thing that like propped me up was, Shocking for someone who's on this show, right? Listening to marginalized people. (laughs) (laughs) But like I said, like a lot of the stuff that carried me through all the complete obnoxiousness of how people, how so many Christians responded to Black Lives Matter or Trump or everything else was at least in part, like I said, my parents just giving me the ability to separate out Jesus from everything else. And I think like actually that, you know, that, that kind of, that white evangelical fixation on your personal relationship with Jesus had a lot of problems that we criticize all day long, but there was one way in which it really helped me, which was like, it, it, the thing that it did give me was an understanding that like communion with God is the sacred thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like your relationship with God, your interaction with God, the thing that like we're trying to restore from the fall is our relationship to God. You know, that whole, that whole thing is actually very helpful in if you if you can see it as something that should push you away from ending up in like a cult of personality um yeah or ending up in a church where you have to like cling to certain political beliefs in order to be like a real full-fledged member of the church or whatever um should i stop there do you guys have questions or thoughts on that before i get to the other thing Mm, no i mean that I just, yeah, that just all resonates with me. I'm like, yes, and amen. Yeah, I mean, you were you were there for a lot of that. So <laughs> I, was, I was, I was, and I can. I'm also just realizing that, like, I, I wonder if our stories will be very similar. They won't be. They'll be from different angles. Well, actually, well, I'm one of our conclusions will be very oh, similar because my conclusion is very similar. So yeah, and and I, and I also just appreciated your mother and your father more. As you were sharing. Yeah, for sure. My Because mo- my mama has a whole lot to do with that as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Keep going. I think, keep going. Sure. Um, okay, so the thing that like most attracts me to Jesus now. This, by the way, I have a story in here that is my direct attempt to exercise. Uh, remember at the end of the last season when I said I wasn't, I didn't know how well I had done on being vulnerable. I'm going to, I'm just, I'm calling the shot here. I'm going to kick myself in the gut vulnerability wise right now (laughs) and not, and uh, make, make myself just feel those feelings that I don't want to feel for the sake of sharing a story. Um, Here's, (laughs) uh, this isn't it yet though. So I, I, I think um, a lot of what at the moment, and this, like, like Susie was saying, this always changes, keeps me very close to Jesus is uh, comes from passages like where he talks about healing a man on the Sabbath, which he does in more than one occasion. But he, he specifically talks about how the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right. Mm-hmm. Or how like the, the example that Jesus gives at one point of, of David and, and his, uh, the, the soldiers he had with him eating the food that was reserved by Levitical law for the priests because basically they were like starving and desperate and on the run Um, or all these different stories like that, where Jesus has like this, this amount of 
grace where he understands that like the religious rules are not and never were the point and that they are there for human flourishing and that when they contradict human flourishing, you can break them because they are like, that's not what they're for. They're not for, they're not, they're not supposed to become abstractions um, that, that can, that cause harm. Right. And it's the same thing. Like there's, there's the, another story in um, uh, one of the books. <laughs> Dang it. Which book is it? I don't know. There's a story where King Saul goes into battle without waiting for the prophet Samuel, like God told him to, right. He's supposed to wait for the mm-hmm. prophet Samuel to get there. And he like made these sacrifices and just like assumed that God would be on his side and like went off into battle and lost. And right. the point that Samuel makes to him when he gets there is that God desires obedience, not sacrifice. Like he doesn't yeah. want you to turn the laws into something that's like for your own profit either. Right. He wants you to have like the, the point of it is it, like I was saying before is like the closeness to God is the trust is the faith is all of that is like that kind of stuff that leads to flourishing. And it's not you getting what you want. It's not you being overburdened by a bunch of rules. So there's that, there's like that emotional core to Jesus's teaching that is fundamentally about love for people and not love for like any sort of institution or set of rules. And so in finding like that specific kind of love that breaks through the rules and the institutions and all that, like there's an enormous amount of flourishing to be found there. I think like that's a lot of what has me like, what's the word? I don't even know the word is kind of enthralled by Jesus at the moment. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, here's, here's an example from my life. And, and I I may have to do a little bit of work to show how this connects. But uh, when I was, before I ever uh, dated anybody, I had this like speech that I had planned in my head for uh, in like various ways for anybody who I ended up in a long-term relationship with. And it was basically a speech that said, uh, I know that you at some point will be like embarrassed or somehow ashamed of me as a disabled person in your life. And that's okay. Like, I understand. I, sh- I will have grace for that. And it's like ridiculous to not see that as a defense mechanism now. Right. It's sort of like what I had up was this wall of like, I I can only expect so much love from people. Like I can only expect so much in terms of a relationship and like what it can give me. And I need to like tell people ahead of time that that's okay. So I don't end up like hurt by it. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. So like Gabrielle, my wife was, was actually the first person that I ever dated for any like really extended period of time. And, um, I gave that speech to her one day in like a, it's not speech is a bigger word than it is, but, um, and her her reaction was kind of just like, uh, I don't actually think that I will be like, that's probably not going to happen. And I was like, I I started thinking about like all the stuff that I know about her. And like, she, the, the reason that like this started to seem possible to me is because I, and Jonathan will know this. Like I know, I knew her at that point for a long time and, she like backs that idea up. Like she is kind of one of the people that that people naturally go to with like some of the most difficult things in their lives because she is so evidently not going to judge you. <laughs> like she is so unembarrassed by people's difficulties and like burdens and ways that they make things um, that they're like life circumstances can make things tough on other people. But I didn't like fully believe what she was saying. So I like kind of, I had a couple of like, are you sure? Like, are you sure? And her just continue to say, like, yeah, I've never actually felt anything like that, like being with you. And like at some point I just started to cry. 
because that was like literally not something that I had as like a possibility in my head. Right. Because the, the ways that like I burden other people, the inefficiencies, the things that are frustrating, the things that I can't do that I should be able to do, like all those things are frustrating to me because I take in those like ableist messages from the society around me. And I just like assumed everybody else would feel the same way. And so, so feeling from Gabrielle, like a love that broke through those kinds of rules and like those kinds of um, requirements that we put on each other that are like not meant to be um, about human flourishing. Like they're meant to, you know, be weights that hold people down. Like Jesus says to the religious leaders was like unbelievably healing for me. So there's this song that I sent to Susie and Jonathan today. Did did either of you listen to it? Yes. I loved it. Okay. So there's, it's, it's by this guy named Frank Turner who I listen to a lot. It's been in my head for like a few months. Uh, the song's called be more kind. And it, it, it just, it goes, history has been leaning on me lately. I can feel the future breathing down my neck. All the things I thought were true when I was young and you were too have turned out to be broken. And I don't know what comes next in a world that has decided that it's going to lose its mind. Be more kind. My friends try to be more kind. And, um, Actually, I'm going to keep going because the second verse is good too. (laughs) It says, they started raising walls around the world now, like hackles raised upon a cornered cat. On the borders in our heads between the things that can and can't be said, we've stopped stopped talking to each other and there's something wrong with that. So before you go out searching, don't decide what you will find. Be more kind, my friends. Try to be more kind. And I keep, um, he's an atheist, by the way. This has nothing to do with Jesus in particular. (laughs) But... I have this song in my head because like the emotional core behind it is so uh, in that same vein as Jesus, I think in terms of like, there's just so much happening to us individually. There's so much happening in society that is so oppressive and so problematic and so difficult and harmful to so many people in so many ways that like the thing that I just want to tell people to do is be more kind. We, because like, we just don't need any, we do not need any more people <laughs> being less kind. <laughs> and so I, 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 I like Mike Edmondson recently talked about how like, so he was, he just made this offhand comment about on our show about how um, self-control he's like, I'm just so glad that that's like a fruit of the spirit. And I think kindness for me is the one where I'm like, we don't talk about that enough that just like kindness and gentleness are a fruit of the spirit and are, are not, I, I just, I think we, we think we cannot be straightforward or, frustrated or lamenting and kind all at the same time. But it's like that, that is absolutely what Jesus was, right? Jesus was flipping tables and saying, let the little children come to me or whatever you see as Jesus being particularly kind towards people. Right. Um, So that, that idea of like, we just need more of that kindness. We need more of that acceptance in the world that helps us flourish. I never fail to find that in Jesus. And so I think that's why, why I'm at where I'm at. That's a lot of talking guys. Do you have any questions? (laughs) I think what's interesting or what's compelling about what you were saying is that I told myself a different story about having to marry someone or getting to marry someone is that I was like, when I get married, they will have to leave their families to marry me. Because I remember my going to my uncle's wedding and, everybody on my on my aunt's side was not there 
And I was like, well, why aren't they there? And it's oh, because she's white and he's black, right? Um, and so I grew up with the expectation that one day if I decided to marry someone, it's very possible that they would have to choose me over their family. And and I think I had that conversation multiple times with people that I was dating. But what's what's different is that they that proved to be true in most of those dialogues. But the the result of being chosen in the midst of a so my intrinsic value being validated when extrinsically that was being shut down was transformative for me you know wait what do you mean by that intrinsic extrinsic so um the extrinsic value placed upon me on society is that i am less educated less smart less more brutish like yeah. all the things that come with being black whereas intrinsically god has made me in his image I see. Okay. and so so that again like there's a there's a the response to the brokenness is a prepared speech a thing, right? But the the balm is relationship, right? Yeah, um, and that's a trend. That's a transformative thing. So it resonates with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's like the piece that this is a Lisa Sharon Harper for you and me, Jonathan. This is definitely where we got mm-hmm. this. But like that peace and goodness and shalom being something mm-hmm. that happens in between people and not like something that happens in an individual, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Yes, yes. It's actually impossible for it to happen individually. Because that's not what was broken. Yeah, totally. Right. Right. (laughs) Yes. Which I will say, going back to one of the first things you said, Sai, um, and two, I just want to say thank you for your vulnerability and sharing all of that because I do also just resonate so deeply with how um, personal you got. And it makes me think of – I love when Henry now talks a lot in his writings about how the most personal thing is often the most universal that I think is when we get yeah. down to that level of like our greatest fear is being unlovable, unloved, yeah, <laughs> rejected. Like mm-hmm. that that's so, like, it doesn't matter who you are. That's something that I think it is, I would say probably universal, maybe almost universal. Um, and, and then when someone is willing to share that with you, it's just this moment of like, Oh Yeah. I'm not the only one who feels that way, even though the particularities of where that comes from might differ um, as you guys were just sharing. But then also I want to go back to Sai, when you were talking about um, the ability to, how'd you put the, to roll your eyes at church? Yeah. It's so great. And, um, and I just, I, I think I will come back to that in my own story because you summarized so succinctly and so um, in a very pithy way that I think is really helpful. Um just something that is so important, which is being willing to separate out the things that are actually of God and the things that are of, of people. And, and, and so I think that's so important, but then also that doesn't mean we throw community out the window because as you guys were just saying, community is part of how God works in our lives and how we come to a place of flourishing and fullness and healing and shalom but at the same time, the Bible doesn't teach us that people are good. It teaches us that God is good. Yeah. And and so yeah. being able to distinguish between the two, I think, is often so important. Um, so again, I think that's something I'll probably come back to later. But I just thought that was so well put and, and such an important piece that you brought out there. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go next, Susie? Oh, man, really? I thought you were going to go next. <laughs> 
I, well, I, I can go, but I think I'm going to be fast. Um, at least that's how I, it starts. And then you open the gates. Um, <laughs> but I think in thinking about this question, the, the thing that I can't say that I've had a significant like crisis of faith in God. What I can say is that there have been times where I have tried to, like if I can't figure out the answers to the questions, then I will try to get away from God and he will come and get me. Mm -hmm. So I was actually thinking about like the normal things that cause like black people to like quote unquote lose their faith. And one of the biggest things is like, oh, I guess it's like a white person's religion and like all that stuff, you know? Um, but I honestly, that has never been a hang up for me. The apologetic stuff didn't really like do it for me either. Like those, those things didn't cause me to question God um, because I had such visceral experiences with God at a very young age. And like, we could talk about that at another podcast, but um those are also two completely separate questions, right? They're separate conversations. Yeah. Like the things that yes. take black people away from Christianity and the apologetics conversation have nothing to do right. with each other. That's true. That's true. Um, but the, the thing that drives me away from God and then he comes and gets me hmm. is humanity. Yeah. Like my experiences with God is that like I have had very, very low moments where I don't want to go on anymore and he comes and gets me because I've lost faith in the people around me. So when I was younger, um, I wrote a poem. I think it's I think it's in my first book, but it's called As I the Lonely Go. And it's the only time I've ever thought about um, killing myself and like, just is life like worth living? And I imagined jumping off a building and like what that would be like. And the last line of the poem is like, I wonder where, just where the lonely go. And there's a, there's a, an, an inherent, I think, sense of rejection that I felt as a kid because of my dad not taking an active part in my life. Mm -hmm. um, even so like being present, but not, uh, being there, but not present in my life. But when I know, you know, fast forward, there was a time I was watching Finding Nemo, which is another poem about that, Yeah, where God, like basically this father, Marlon, like is chasing his son Nemo. And God was like, I am, I'm chasing you like this. And it just wrecked me. You know, mm -hmm. so I like leave my house. I'm sitting in like a field in front of our house, just crying because I'm like, oh, this is how God, this is how God loves me. So I think humanity consistently pushes me away from faith because I just, I'm just like, how can we, how can we hurt each other so badly all the time and, and, and things be worth it. Um, yeah. but then God just like shows up. So when Terrence Crutcher was killed, I don't know why, but it just like did something inside of me. And I was listening to a worship song, um, by some white woman and 
her words, because, you know, Terrence Crutcher was killed by a white woman. I was just like, I just could not do it. I was like, none of this is for me. Like CCM. Yeah. CCM. This song, this singing, like it's not for me. It's not for me. It's just like, she's not singing about me. Like none of this is for me at all. And God just comes in and he gets me, you know, he's like, you think you're trash. I, you are not disposable. I came for you. You know what I mean? Like there's, so I feel like humanity pushes me away from God and he consistently comes and gets me through, you know, random acts of kindness to get back at what Sai was saying about people being kind to like events and conversations to visceral moments of like, oh, like God is there, like with Finding Nemo. To conversations with Maya, where Maya looks at me and Maya said, uh, I wrote about this in a piece that we highlighted from the New York Times, where um, the the writer talks about, um, I think it's Sam Anderson, talks about body image issues and his struggles. And like, I distinctly remember like my cousins calling me fat at 11 years old, riding my bike down the road. Like, I'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. And... Maya looked at me in the bathroom and she was like, I said, I was like, I was like complaining about how I looked to myself. And um, she goes, you're beautiful, Baba, (laughs) you know? And like, I think God, God has his ways of reminding me that like he is there Mm. with me, you know, even when like humanity, even the, the humanity within myself would push me to think I am not valuable. It pushed me to think that life is not worth it. So the lie that I believe is not that God isn't real. It's that my life isn't worth living. Like the like none of this is is valuable. Which I know is a different question. It's not. But, I don't I don't think okay, it is. Okay. I think I think it's just it like it the way you put it was that it it's it's humanity, the dregs of humanity taking you mm. away from faith right like taking you away right. from a relationship with god it doesn't right I, I i it doesn't have to be like renouncing the the doctrines of christianity and walking away that's true that's true it, you know what i mean yeah. it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I even think there's some like white cultural stuff in framing it that way you know <laughs> that's you know it's well that that's very true like my i had a conversation with my uncle my uncle marvin and based on any type of catechism people probably say the a lot of people i grew up with are not christian but if you ask any of them about jesus and any of them about god there is nothing more certain in their lives than that god is real Mm -hmm. and so it's it's this it's yeah but i don't have a frame i don't have the words to communicate the depths of faith that he has i don't i don't have words for the power that comes from the faith that they have i just love where this conversation has taken us, um, which is that our our faith is rooted in sort of the deepest parts of who we are and and God meeting us in the place of our our deepest fears and and hurts and insecurities mm. and and restoring those things. And I just love that because it it gets beyond the sort of cerebral, 
aspect of faith that we've kind of been critiquing a little bit. Not that, you know, it's not important to also, you know, we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so it's not that our mind doesn't play a role in that, but we're not talking about like philosophical arguments for the existence of God. Yeah, We're talking about God meeting us in the deepest places of our humanity and in the particularities of where where we need to be loved, I think, which makes so much sense because the Bible says that God is love. That is that is how we experience the manifestation of the transcendence of of who and what God is. Mm-hmm. And 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 so I just love how deeply personal it is, even just beyond our own stories. It's it's getting at the root of of where we hurt and why we hurt and God being present there with us. It's Emmanuel. And I just think that's so beautiful and so powerful and so simple. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that, that's just something that strikes me. And and thank you again to both of you for, for going there. I really appreciate that. No, no problem. Let's hear yours. Yeah, I would say similarly for me, you know, it's interesting. It strikes me in the past sort of going along with what you guys were sharing. It's it's really been from my place of of sort of woundedness and deeply rooted insecurity that that I've kind of held on to God and sensed him holding on to me. But honestly, what strikes me the most today in terms of why, you know, why today when I woke up and got out of bed in the morning, why do I still believe that God is real and present in my life? Why do I still cling to him? And honestly, I need someone who can hold it all together because I can't. Like I, I can pretend to be intelligent. I can pretend to be brave. I can pretend to know the things, to be able to critique the things. But at the end of the day, when I'm tired, when my strength fails me, when my kid is sick, when I'm out of ideas, when I'm not sure if I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing, I need to know that someone is holding me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that someone is God. You know, I'm, I'm blessed with an incredibly supportive and loving family and an incredible husband, but that that's not what holds it together for me. And I was sharing with um, Cy and I were actually talking about this. I'll just share a, kind of a small illustration of this. And we're lucky because this turned out to not be a part of our story, but we took our daughter in to see the pediatrician a couple weeks ago for some some issues that she'd been having. And they made us take her in to get tested for leukemia. And that was something I did not expect to have to even consider. I was not prepared. <laughs> and and I think it's moments like that where, again, like you, you need someone who can hold it all together. Like no matter how brave we pretend to be, no matter how much we pretend to have it all together, who holds you up when you have nothing left? And so that's, you know, that's God meeting me there and – and in the beautiful ways that God meets me, I think, you know, two mornings ago, I woke up early because I was feeding my baby and just seeing the traces of the sunrise, you know, the pink on the clouds. And it made me think of Jonathan, when you talked about delight in one of our conversations and just the power of delight. And I thought God did that without even knowing or caring maybe that someone was going to wake up and see it. But then I got to wake up and see it. Then he let me see it. But God doesn't even just do it for me. He just de- – like, that's delight. And and just the fact that we get to 
glimpse traces of transcendence in our lives through moments like that. We get to to try to grasp something that is just beyond our reach because I do, in my moments of doubt, very much along the lines of what you all were sharing, it's it's the man-made constructions that we try to put around God. It's the way we try to box him in, fence him in, that produces doubt in me. Those are the structures that cause me to want to walk away. But the God that breaks out of those boxes, that exists beyond those fences, th- that's the God that I've never really had reason to doubt. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think... That's something I also want to continue to to wrestle with despite my moments of doubt. Like, you know, I love in the Bible when it talks about Jacob wrestling with God. I feel like I come back to that so often. I want to be known as someone who wrestles with God. Yes, I have questions. Mm-hmm. Yes, I have I have critiques. Yes, there are things that I want to see us as a collective, as the church repent of, because I do, again, believe in the communal aspect of our faith. I do believe in communal sin and communal repentance, and I want to see that happen. And I feel like the prayer that I so often come back to is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Hmm. And yet every time I pray that prayer and take that you know, what philosophers, what Kierkegaard calls the leap of faith that I think is so fundamental to everyone's life, regardless of whether you say that you believe in God or yes. the universe or whatever. It all requires that that leap of faith. And, and for right. me, every time I take that leap into the transcendence and infinite existence of God, he, he meets me and he mm. affirms me. And I just, that's something I can't walk away from. And and I appreciated, Jonathan, you touching on sort of visceral experiences you've had in your faith. And and I never want to walk away from the intellectual arguments because, again, I know we're called to love God with our minds as well. And yet it, it really is the, the visceral experiences, as you put it, that, you know, that's part of why I think I describe myself as sort of a closet Pentecostal or almost sometimes I feel like, you know, am I a Christian mystic that I just, I just, I just think God is real. Mm. It's, or even Jonathan, you were talking about um, the tradition in the black church of just an everyday faith in God that goes mm. beyond our white Christian apologetics. And, and I love that song by India Ari that I think touches on that of, you know, how I know that God is real. All of this is not by chance. And just the beauty mm. of creation. Like, it's those simple things that I think ground my faith in God today. And they are basic and they are particular to me and they are also universal. And they are, they are things that I can't deny. And in that sense, they're also, if I wanted to make a philosophical argument, phenomenological. <laughs> but that's not why they're powerful to me. They are experiential. But they're powerful to me because they're also emotional. They're also rooted in the most fundamental fabric of who I am as a human being. And every time I'm tempted to or even try to step away from those things, I feel that I'm losing the most important piece of me. And so I can't walk away. Amen. Yeah, amen. What I think is interesting is, you know, one way that someone could – could come back and like, or that a lot of people would come back and critique what you just said and what, um, what all of us have said 
is is that point about you know you need you need someone to hold things together like people could just kind of go oh that's a that's an emotional crutch which is a uh ableist oh, yeah. uh, ableist uh, uh phrase in and of itself but yeah <laughs> yeah um i i think your willingness to just say like no that actually like there is a way that i am weak here and god resolves it and i'm just fine with that because i'm not a person who's perfect and has it all together and you know I, I think that's um, an important bit of vulnerability, right? For people to just say like, to, for you to be able to just say, no, I'm not entirely rational, <laughs> right? To say, I do have like, I do have um, emotional and communal and everything else needs. Um, and yeah. I think to deny those needs is something that colonized faith and that like hyper rational enlightenment, Western thinking, like all have in common with each other. They all from the same thing, right? Like the denial of any, yeah. 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 So anyways, I, I thought that was an interesting point, but thank you very much for sharing all that. It was both what you said was quite powerful, I thought. And thank you, Sai, for bringing that up because that that is the devil's advocate in my head. Yeah. Sometimes where I'm like, you know, is is my faith just, you know, my opium? You know, to to paraphrase Marx, where religion is the opiate of the people, <laughs> am I just do I just allow myself to be happily delusioned? And I think that's where again, like that idea of of the leap of faith that you have at a certain point, you you will always believe in something. What you believe in, that's a different thing. And then I go back to you know, what is this built on? What is this based on? And again, I think it needs to be. I think it needs to be cognitive, but it also should be experiential. And it also, you know, when you get into the realm of spirituality there, again, I believe in transcendence. Like there is something else going on there. Like the whole is more than the sum of its parts. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right that that's, that would be the critique of something like that. And yet there's a deeper truth there that I think you can't get beyond. I think what's interesting about what we're talking about is I think what we're trying to do and what we're sharing is bearing witness, which is what Jesus calls us to be as witnesses, not his defenders. Yeah, totally. And like, that's so good. When we testify, we're doing what he's called us to do, you know? Um, And I'm not saying apologetics is some abiblical, heretical thing to do. That's not what I'm saying. What, what I am saying is like if our defense is not rooted in, in a relationship with God, then I think we've missed something um, because I should be able to talk about the Jesus that I know, not the Jesus that I learned about yeah. from somebody else. Totally. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's the Jesus that you know and not the Jesus that you learned about from somebody else that's going to get you through the actual difficulties of life, like the actual right. brokenness of the world. You know what I mean? It's, it's a, right. the, the fact that, that if, if you can only talk about the Jews that you learned about from somebody else, like that's actually indicative of a deeper problem. Right. I, so I think like Rich Velotis or, you know, new life would say like, we don't, we're not called to live off of secondhand spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think that the delusion piece comes in if you're not willing to look the manifestation of the practice of our faith fully in the eye. So that's part of why it's so important to me to be able to be honest about the ugly things that happen in the church um, and the ugly things that Christians do and have done historically. And, you know, I think 
I think if our faith is authentic, we we shouldn't feel like we need to, I guess it's going back exactly to what you were saying, Jonathan, we shouldn't need to f- feel like we have to defend it or preserve it or, you know, protect it from itself. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's genuine, if it's real, it it can hold water in the midst of all of the nonsense that humanity right. wraps around it. Right. Absolutely. And I think that honesty is important. Right. And if it doesn't hold water for X person, it will hold water for Y person and somebody, you know what I mean? Like, cause not every testimony and everything is for everybody either. You know what I mean? Yes. Which I think is actually mm-hmm. a good, a good kind of place to end us because I, I, I wanted to say, what I wanted to say was these are like our personal stories. I hope they've been helpful to you all. <laughs> and thank mm-hmm. you for sticking with us through a bit of a, uh, uh, kind of abnormal episode for us, but we thought this would be um, something that would hold water for some people and in a, right. in a helpful way and also give people an idea of uh, hopefully how we can be honest and vulnerable and talk about how, talk about testimonies in terms of like what's actually going on in our lives now and not just some story from from 20 years ago, which while it was extremely important to you is not actually like the substance of your faith today, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think people kind of do need to learn how to do that. Like be okay with the limit, the limitedness of your own story and also to tell your actual story as it is now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I think we're, we're going to end there. Thank you two very much for uh, having this conversation and thank you all for listening. Um, please do remember if you like, appreciate what we do at all here, uh, check the dust KTF press do go to ktfpress.com and consider becoming a monthly or annual subscriber that helps us out uh, so much that is the best way to support us like I said uh, you can also go to ktfpress.com slash free month if you want to start your subscription out with a free month we mentioned a couple songs we will have uh, links to those in the show notes uh, in case anyone wants to listen to what, what Susie and I were talking about and as always our theme song Citizens by John Guerra our podcast art is by Jacqueline Tam uh, and we will see you all in two weeks. When we arrive, I see immigrants, and you call us citizens, and you welcome us as children home. When we arrive, as immigrants, and you call us citizens, and you welcome us as children home. I think I will start with. Can you guys hear that sound? No. <laughs> the Holy Spirit. No, the, yeah. Can you guys hear the Holy Spirit talking? Um, I do my fan on in my in my room. Is that? No, no, no. It's something coming from my end. I don't know what. Oh, okay, I do. It's, the AC is behind me. It's as a well. it's a small squeaking. It's not. It's uh, in it's your not head. In your head, zombie, zombie, zombie. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> I just had to get that out. You're welcome. Uh, those are not going to be timed with each other when when the actual recordings come into me and we're not on a VoIP call. <laughs> you will then take the time to make them time. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs>